So if you were in charge, what would you do to bring change to the world? Now, come on, don't be shy. I know you have ideas. The flies on your wall and Google Home are listening. They're listening to what you say when you have reports from the world, when you hear about what's going on in the world, when you hear about what's going on in politics, when you hear about the pandemic, when you hear about all of these things, you have ideas. So what are they? What are your ideas for bringing about change, change that will really benefit people, change that will really bless people, change that will really make a difference in this place where we are and in our world for Jesus' sake. This morning, I want to talk about the power that you and I have, real power to bring about change in our world. So if you want to bring change, be present. Dwell in and go out in the power of the presence of the Lord and be present. So we're going to talk about this morning as we come to the word of the Lord from the gospel of Matthew chapter 1. So if you'll take out your Bibles... Or you can just turn in the bulletin. Uh, You'll find the passage printed there from Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. So when you found your Bible, your phone, or your bulletin, let's stand together so that we might hear, read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord, Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this story of your coming to earth. Father, thank you that it's true. Thank you for the change that you bring in us and in the world as a result of it. We pray now, Spirit of God. As always, that you would join the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. We pray, Lord, that uh, as your word and your spirit come together in us, you would bring about real change in us so that we might go out and bring real change through your power in our world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. The angel's message to Joseph is this. Joseph, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, put yourself in Joseph's 
sandals for just a moment. When you don't yet know who Jesus is, and when you don't yet know what he's going to do, you wouldn't have a framework for what conceived by the Holy Spirit really means. The angel said to Joseph, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. But when you don't yet know who Jesus is and when you don't yet know what Jesus has come to do, you don't have a framework for what save people from their sins might really mean. Save how? In what way? And so the next words we read in verse 22 are a Holy Spirit-inspired editorial edition by Matthew. He writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Matthew spells it out explicitly so that everyone will understand that this baby is God, God with us. For those of us who have experienced the reality of the presence of God in our lives, we rejoice, right? This is good news. We sing, as we sang last week and as we're going to sing at the end of the service this morning, Emmanuel, Emmanuel, praise His name, Emmanuel. However, since we have heard Emmanuel, God with us so many times. We may be a little too nonchalant, casual, relaxed, indifferent, even apathetic about the awesome privilege of having the presence and the power of a holy God with us. See, people living at the time Jesus was born. The Jews who would read Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus would have heard Emmanuel very different than we hear it. From the evidence in Scripture, to to hear Emmanuel, God with us, would have been a terrifying reality for them. That's not the way it's supposed to be. God created man and woman to enjoy his presence. God intended that the greatest blessing that we would have as human beings is to enjoy his presence. And and Adam and Eve did enjoy the presence of God until they sinned. After they sinned, you know the story. The presence of God is no longer a joy for them. Now, when they hear God in the garden, when they know that God is actually present with them, they run and they hide themselves. They are now afraid of the presence of God, and so it begins. The presence of God becomes a dreadful and terrifying thing. Genesis 15, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful, dreadful, and great darkness fell upon him, and behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. I don't know what this looked like, this flaming furnace, but... I'm not going to be uh, 
jaded by Disney either. <laughs> Their animation of dancing pots and dancing brooms. This was probably a terrifying vision. The flame, the heat from it, the light of it. Intense. This is the awful power and presence of the Lord. God gave Abraham's grandson, Jacob, a vision of the ladder going up to heaven. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome, how fearful, how dreaded, how terrible is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the awful power and presence of the Lord for Moses and the people of Israel. The presence of God is smoke and fire and thunder on the mountain as Moses enters into the presence of the Lord to receive from him the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is the awful power and presence of God with us. And then there's Job. Then the Lord answered Job out of the, the whirlwind. We know what hurricanes are like in the low country, don't we? We know the, the dreadful sound of them. We know the damage that they can bring. This is the awful power and presence of the Lord. Manoah and his wife, the mother and father of Samson, watched the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, go up in a flame of the altar after their sacrifice, and they fell on their faces on the ground. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die. We have, seen the, we have seen God. This is the awful power and presence of the Lord. I could go on and on with examples from Scripture of how the, the powerful presence of God terrified the human who came into contact with it. But instead, I'll just say this, that this kind of fear was so common that a tradition had grown up that every supernatural manifestation of the presence of God was a sign that the person who had experienced it would soon die. So into the hearts and the minds of God's people, Emmanuel, God with us, was not something to rejoice in. It was instead something to be feared and dreaded. Because whenever the inhabitants of heaven, God himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, angels, whenever they encounter human beings, human beings are immediately aware of our unfitness to be in the presence of the perfection of heaven. We can forget about our unfitness when we're only surrounded by other human beings. We can high-five each other. Yeah. We can tout our humanistic philosophies about how good and how great 
human beings are. We can be like the ancient people on the plains of Shinar. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. We believe as human beings there's nothing that we cannot achieve, but without fail. When human beings encounter heavenly beings, we are undone. We're undone. And our humanistic philosophies and arguments, they crumble like a house of cards in the presence of the heavenly. And and immediately, our sinfulness, our imperfection is exposed. And we say with the prophet Isaiah, woe is me. I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And we know in a moment that we are unfit to dwell in the presence of God. And this is the way the human beings are supposed to feel in the presence of God. Because you know what? God is holy. And that's what God is communicating to humans to his people with the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was intended to communicate the holiness of the presence of God. It was the holiest article in the temple. And it was placed in the holiest spot of the temple, the holy of holies. Inside the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, manna and the rod of Aaron that blossomed miraculously. The lid that covered the Ark of the Covenant was made of solid gold, and it was called the mercy seat. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, a priest went in and he sprinkled blood on the mercy seat that covered the law of God, and the sins of God's people were atoned for. And above the mercy seat, there were two cherubim made of pure gold. And God said, here in this place, above the mercy seat between the cherubim, that's where I will dwell. And God said to Moses, I will meet you there in that place. That's why the ark was so holy. It was God's dwelling place on earth. It was so holy. It was never to be touched by human hands. And so God commanded that four rings be attached to the four corners of the ark through which poles could be inserted. And the ark could be carried by the poles on the shoulders of the priest so that no human hand would touch the holiness of God. Now, let me tell you three stories that illustrate the power of the presence and holiness of God. Ready for three stories? You ready for three stories? Story one. The ark was captured in battle. Should have never been in battle. It belonged in the Holy of Holies. But the Israelites took it into battle. And it was captured by their enemies, the the Philistines. And so the Philistines took the ark of the covenant into their temple of their god, Dagon. They put the ark right beside uh, the statue of Dagon. Well, the next morning, the Philistines went into Dagon's temple. And guess what they discovered? Dagon had fallen face forward before the Ark of the Covenant. And so, all right, they set Dagon back up. They set him back up. And then early the next morning, they went back into Dagon's temple. And guess what they had discovered? Dagon had fallen face down. 
in front of the Ark of the Covenant. But this time his head had been cut off and his arms had been cut off and all that was left to Dagon was his trunk. This is the power of the presence of God. Story number two. The Ark caused so much trouble for the Philistines, they decided, let's give this thing back to the Israelites. And so they did. The ark wasn't taken immediately back to the tabernacle where it belonged, but David became king, and he decided the ark needed to be back in the tabernacle, and so he decided to have it moved. But instead of moving the ark, as God had told them to move it, on poles, on the shoulders of the priests, they decided, hey, let's just move it on a cart, right? Makes sense. Quicker, easier, more efficient. Let's move the ark of the covenant that way. So while the ark was being moved, for some reason, I don't know the reason, the oxen pulling the ark stumbled, and the, the ark began to fall. And so a man named Uzzah reached out to keep the ark from falling, and he touched the ark, and immediately he was struck dead by God. Now that's the power of the presence of a holy God. Sinful people can't come into the presence of a holy God, much less reach out and touch a holy God. Now, our immediate reaction when we hear about Uzzah, it's to side with him, to defend him. Wow, look what God did. All Uzzah was trying to do was to, to, to protect the Lord, to keep his ark from falling. But that thinking only highlights how little we understand and how little we are awed by the holiness of God and the power of his presence. And how unfit we are for it. And how little we deserve to be in it. Story three. After the temple was completed, the ark was brought on poles this time the right way into the temple that Solomon had just had built. And it was placed in the Holy of Holies. And Solomon prayed a prayer of dedication for the temple. And as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. What was that like? I don't know. We think of glory as fog or mist or cloud. But it had to be more substantial for that. Whatever it was, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, His presence physically prevented the priests from entering into the presence of God. This is the power of the presence of God. And so it goes with the presence of a holy God right up until the night that Jesus is born. And in the same region there were Shepherds in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were, what? Sore afraid. Isn't that a great word? Sore afraid. They were greatly, greatly filled with fear. Fear, that's the reaction to Emmanuel, God with us. But the angel continues, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, 
which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. How can this be joyful news? How can this not be frightening, terrifying, death-causing news? Is it because God is any less holy? Is it because he's relaxed his standards? No. It's because in and through Christ, God's holy standards have been met. The Ten Commandments that were inside the ark perfectly met without flaw by Christ. The blood of the innocent animal that was put on the mercy seat once a year to atone for the sins of the people. It's replaced by the blood of Jesus that pays for our sins because Jesus is Jesus and because he's loving enough to come to us and be with us and die for us. Emmanuel is good news to us, not terrifying, not fearful news. John tells us that Jesus, the Word, took on flesh and made His dwelling among us, literally tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled with us, and we have seen His glory. Jesus is the tabernacle, the temple. He radiates glory. He's the Shekinah glory now that prevented anyone from entering the temple. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you see what God is communicating? Because of Jesus, we can come into the glorious and powerful presence of a holy God. Let me ask you, is that good news? The power of God hasn't changed. The holiness of God hasn't changed. But Jesus makes us acceptable to God. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, instead of dying in the presence of God, we live forever in the presence of God, not in fear, but with great rejoicing. Let me ask you, is that good news? Emmanuel. God with us, even in this moment, He's present with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. His presence with you and me and our presence in this world. It's powerful. We've seen this morning what the power of His presence has done. Now let me take you to the future, to the end of earthly time. Revelation 21. The Apostle John writes, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This is the new heaven and the new earth. The temple, the system that God put in place to enable humans to come into His presence, it's replaced by the presence of Christ. Revelation continues, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, the sun, the world's system of light 
the world's heating system is replaced by the powerful presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus. I'm telling you, it is powerful beyond our imaginations. What's God showing us here? What's God showing us in here about the presence of Christ? Is he showing us that systems do not work? Systems do not work. The Old Testament temple sacrificial system was definitely the plan of God. It was God's way, but God always knew that the temple would be replaced by the presence of Christ. The solar system that God created, replaced by the presence of Christ. What system then cannot be replaced by the presence of Jesus? We put systems in place to bring about change in our world. That's what we do. Do you know how complex systems really are? System theory has been defined this way. The study of independent and interconnected things that work together as a system and practice systems theory is used to understand complex systems that are impossible to be fully modeled, predict, or understand using standard thinking such as analysis. A few examples of system theory. Complexity, chaos theory, randomness, adaptation, emergence, spontaneous order, equilibrium, homeostasis, singularity, critical point, holism, and so on. We need systems to understand our systems. And what do you have to leave behind? What do you have to leave unexplored? What do you have to leave unimplemented to focus on any one of these systems? One system fixes one problem, but it creates new problems. But still, still, we go for systems, don't we? We love the system. We love the organization. We love the movement. That's what's going to bring change to the world. Why are we that way? I think it's because even as followers of Christ, we do not believe that His presence is powerful enough. Even as believers in Christ, we do not believe that His presence is powerful enough. Now, we say it is. We give it lip service. Oh, of course. Oh, of course. Christ in me. Powerful. But, we always have a but. But, 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 but something more is needed. The, the, the presence doesn't draw enough attention. We need something bigger than presence to make a, a bigger splash. The, the presence of Christ being present in the world, it, it doesn't bring results that are fast enough or in big enough quantity. And I know this thinking to be true because it's been told me by people who love the Lord, who still believe that the power of God's presence with us and through us is not enough to change the world. And yet God said, Emmanuel, God with us. If God were to ask you, what can't you do by just being present with the power of my indwelling spirit, how would you answer it? If God were to ask you, what, what can't you do by just being present with the power of my indwelling spirit, how would you answer him?
my calling, my calling as a pastor. Always to put before you and me the power of the presence of Christ and what you and I can do if we will dwell in the presence of Christ and go out with His presence. Think about it. Whenever Moses was in the presence of the Lord, his face literally glowed. You cannot spend time in the presence of the Lord and not be changed and then go out into the world as a person changed by and empowered by the presence of God. Why can we not address poverty by just being present with the poor? in the presence of Christ in us? Why can't we address racism just by being present with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation with the presence of Christ in us? Why can we not address hate by being present with those who hate us with the presence of Christ in us? Jesus would not be Emmanuel to us if his presence were not powerful. So please, Don't discount the power of the presence of Christ in you and with you. Spend time in his presence. It's the best thing you can do for everyone in your life. Parents, parents, the greatest thing you can do for your children is to spend time in the presence of God. Let them see your face shine after you've been with the Lord. Let them see that Jesus is not just someone to know about. He's someone to be with. Someone who is with you. Bring them. Bring them into the presence of the Lord. Don't just tell them stories about Him. Don't just give them Bible quizzes about Bible knowledge. Take them into the presence of the Lord. Do that. And I believe that the discouraging statistics that we see about children raised in Christian homes turning away from the Lord as soon as they head off for college, I I believe it will change because they have seen you in the presence of the Lord. They've been with you in the presence of the Lord. That's what will change them. And you can apply that to any relationship in your life. Parent, child, brother, Sister, neighbor, friend, co-worker, I don't care. At the beginning of the sermon, I ask you what you would do if you were in charge to change the world. I think the answer is to dwell in the presence of the Lord. Become more like Christ from being in His presence. And then go out into the world with the presence of Christ, the presence of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. It's powerful. Go out into the world as a person made more like Christ by the presence of the Lord and really be present with people. And I mean really be present with people. Be with them, individually present. Be present with them, with Emmanuel, present in you, and see the difference that you'll make in this world for Jesus' sake.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Lord, that those are words of good news to us. They don't strike fear in our hearts because of who you are, Jesus, loving, gracious, merciful, forgiving. We can without fear be in the presence of the Lord. That's the confidence we have, and I pray, Lord, we would take advantage of this great privilege. Draw us into your presence. And once we get there, Lord, reveal yourself to us through your word and change us. Father, I pray that if our faces don't glow, that our spirits would glow, would be warmed, would be on fire from spending time with your pre- in your presence. That we would in those moments become more and more like Christ. Lord, what can't we do as those who are more like Christ going into the world, seeking to see as you see, Lord Jesus, seeking to do as you did, Lord Jesus. What can't be changed? What can't be set right as we are present in this world with your presence in us? Lord, convince us that this is the way, your way to bring about change, that your presence is better than any system we could ever put in place to change our lives or to change our world. So help us to be people who love your presence. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.